Uh, brethren, if you would, turn with me to Psalm 1. That is what we're going to be studying today. Get a good look. We have a lot to go over, so we'll just go over as, as much as we possibly can today and meditate and dwell on that together. I'm going to go to Psalm 1. Let me go ahead and pray for us just one more time. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you today to um, to ask you, Lord, to ask that you reveal wonderful things to us from your word, from your law and this book of teaching. God, I pray that you would help us to grow in grace, Lord, and even nurture within us uh, that we might uh, abound in more fruit, Lord God. So I pray that this study would... Uh, would help us to abound in more fruitfulness that we might serve you and serve one another in this body. Lord, help us to see these things in your word today, Lord, and help me to teach these things. We ask these in your name. Amen. 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 So the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, another name for the Psalms is a Psalter. So altogether it is a complete work which is compositionally structured and made up of 150 psalms. Many of you know that. Uh, The book of Psalms has five separate sections or books, if you would. And uh, the book of Psalms opens with um, the first two psalms, as you know. Uh, The first two psalms, historically though, are not the first two psalms um, to be written in time. So the first psalm is not uh, the first psalm that was ever written. Uh, but these two books, or these two, these two books uh, have been called, some have called them poetic pillars. And, uh, they are basically the structure that makes up and, uh, and really guides the reader into the whole temple of the Psalms. And so if you're going to the temple of God and, and, uh, as Old Testament saints and opening this book, the Psalter, um, these were evangelistic Psalms. So as soon as you walk into the temple of God, you're faced with the reality of do you know uh, the God of this word and do you exalt uh, his son? And so uh, this is what we see here. Um, this I, I was reading a commentary on Robert, uh, by uh, O. Palmer Robertson. He says that the, these two Psalms, they escort the reader into the temple of the book of Psalms, Psalm 1 and 2. And so as you, as you, as I just, uh, just had, had, had told you that the Psalm 1 wasn't the first Psalm. We know that Psalm 90 is actually written by Moses. And, uh, which was, you know, sometime before David. And so these two Psalms here are here, um, placed strategically, uh, by the Psalmist, by the, the basically the, com- the compiler of the Psalms. And you can see the strategy in putting these Psalms where he did. If you look in, if you look in Psalm 1 and you look at the first verse, this is what you'll see. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So we see that this book starts with uh, uh, the blessedness. It basically, right, it's telling us about the blessedness of, of the man who, 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 is, who uh, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but uh, he is founded and standing on the counsel of God, the word of God. And look at how Psalm 2 ends. Psalm 2 ends, the last sentence says, How blessed are all who take refuge in him. So these these two books would have been bookends that would guide you into the temple of the Psalms and would hem you in and would cause you to 
to think and consider and to meditate upon what is in these two psalms. When you come into the temple of God, the psalmist wanted to make sure that you don't get to anything else before you reckon yourself with God. And so you can see the strategy in doing this. So the first pillar, Psalm 1, focuses on the, the centrality of the Torah. And so I ask you, what, so what is the Torah? Anybody have an idea of, of what the Torah might, um, what do you, brother, did you have, did you raise your hand? No? Okay. Um, Jessica? Yes. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, that's, that's one way. Um, Book of the Law. Right, it really does have, uh, many different, um, uh, many different meanings to it. Uh, but in general, it does, uh, it, it does kind of in a wholesome encompass, um, uh, it basically the Torah, the, this word means, uh, to teach. And so in wholesale, this word means, uh, the teachings of Yahweh. Uh, the law of the Torah, so it's, it was an elastic word that really could refer to many things. History, prophecy, poetry, wisdom. Um, and it, so, but the word Torah, uh, what it does mean is the teaching of Yahweh. So it is the teaching, the instruction, wisdom for life that comes from the Lord. And uh, a legalistic view of life is the furthest thing possible from the proper understanding of the Torah. But it speaks of a wholesale approach to life that comes from a full apprehension of the will of God for the well-being of human beings made in God's image. So this really did encompass life. It wasn't just how you were to get saved by doing something, but it was a rule to live by. It was life itself. This was that was God's law, and this is where this is where life was found. And so that's what you see in Psalm one. Psalm one, it exalts the centrality of the Torah, God's teaching. And what you will see is that the ungodly and the unrighteous, um, that which abounds within them, is the result of not loving God and His revealed Word. And what you do see uh, also is that the godly and the righteous, they are marked for their love of their law. Uh, they're, they're marked for the love of, of, of the law of God. And so this is what you see. And so um, throughout these books, what you'll see is that um, uh, this basically you'll see a contrastive nature as God reveals two differences of, of seeds. We see this in all throughout God's word. That he he's going to he's going to contrast two seeds, two peoples, two paths, and two possible eternal outcomes or destinies, and this is what you see, and this is what God is doing uh, strategically in the first two psalms. Um, so this is a Torah psalm. You can call it a Torah psalm. The second is a, a messianic psalm, and you have these in the psalms: Psalm 18, Psalm 19, and you also have these in Psalm 118 and Psalm 119 where they exalt not just uh, the word of God, the law of God, but the, mess, the Messiah's son, uh, God's son, and how we are to worship him. And so taken together, that's exactly what uh, these psalms are doing here. And so the book of Psalms is first and foremost, uh, it's, a, it's a book of praises and worship to God. And secondly, it is the pronouncements of blessings upon uh, the man or woman who knows and loves God. And so as we go through Psalm 1, you notice this. I know many of you have probably read this psalm before, but the first psalm is made up of two noticeable sections. For verses 1 through 3, which describe the spiritual condition and exercises the blessings of uh, the man or woman uh, uh, that, that they receive from the Lord. 
And verses 4 through 6 is the second division that you can see in this psalm. And it contrasts the state and the character of the wicked. And thereby discloses the ultimate and uh, the future of the dwelling place of the damned. And so verse 1 defines who the blessed person is negatively. And we're just we're about to get into just the meat of this psalm. Who the blessed person is ne- negatively. And what we, what we mean by that is uh, what the blessed man or woman does not do and must keep from. And verse 2 defines what the blessed person does and must keep doing or persevere therein. And so as we go a little further here, we'll get into Psalm 1. Verse 1, and it reads, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You can also translate that as ungodly. Nor stand in the path of sinners. And the path is also rendered way, lifestyle. Nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So how blessed, um, this is very, this is, uh, this is, uh, very relatable to the Beatitudes. Uh, this is basically the same word in the Greek, the makarioi that we spoke about when we ever, when we taught on the Beatitudes. So they're not merely statements made by the psalmist on, on what we are to do, right? But who you are. Um, exclamations on who you are and, uh, what we are at blessed men, men and women who have found favor in the eyes of God. And so the blessednesses of Scripture are not instructions on how to get in the kingdom of God, right? We discussed that back in the Beatitudes, um, because you cannot merit your salvation by doing something, but they are descriptions of those who are in the kingdom of God. And so like this word, like we mentioned in the Beatitudes, there aren't any verbs, right? Uh, blessed is the man, blessed are those, or how blessed is the man. Um, the word is isn't in there, so, and the word blessed is, uh, it's, it's plural. So it literally could be re- rendered, oh, the blessedness is of the man. It's exalting the favored position of this man. The privilege of being where he is, which is not of his own doing. And so uh, this is what we want to get to. So how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So what the author is doing in this passage is showing us, which is this has become extremely clear to me this week, is if you look at this and study this, you can see a process in view. This is a, uh, you can see this as a, a process of apostasy or, um, or it is the behavior or what happens when one is living in sin, right? They go from bad to worse. And this is what you see. You see that they go from not just walking in the counsel of the wicked, but standing in the path of sinners. And you see this a wicked digression in heart, which ultimately leads them to be to, to sitting in a seat of scoffers. And so the godly, they reject that which is uh, that which is in opposition to the word of God. That's what the godly first does, right? How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Uh, so whether it be world, world, world views and beliefs, uh, behaviors that do not conform to biblical godliness and people who mock God's truth. How blessed is the man, right, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And so what I hate now is who I used to be, right? I used to heed the advice of the wicked, I used to live a sin-gratifying lifestyle. 
And I used to be one who, who mocked and scorned righteousness in my heart and with my mouth. Um, and I, 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 I mocked God's word um, whenever I was not saved. And so, indeed, everyone who is in Christ now has been in this place. And so, just getting into the counsel of the wicked, I was wanted to open this up. So, walking in the counsel of the wicked. And my question is this. Are there things or people influencing your life that fall into some of these categories? And uh, one of my questions is, what are some immediate examples in the world that could be an obstacle to be conf- to your conformity to Christ's likeness or direct sources by which uh, your thoughts about God and godliness uh, could be hindered? What are, what are some of the ways? Speaking about the counsel of the wicked, what are some ways in your life that you can think about or possible hindrances that keep you from being conformed or can keep you from being conformed to Christ likeness? Pastor? I'm a relevant one just for Trish and I because uh, we're getting a lot of advice from a lot of different people on how to raise our baby. And, uh, mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I would just say along the lines of maybe parental guidance, you know, mm. the world has its views of you know, how Wow. Yeah, amen. 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 Yeah, another, I think another one also, like, if you have a fellowship with somebody that is, um, example, I had a friend of mine that was for years, we were friends, and um, I witnessed to him, he would not repent, he would not stop using God's name, and, you know, and I was getting to a point where I was actually, you know, I was close to him, Right. Okay. So circumstances worked out and God worked it out to where we basically ended up suffering time. Mm-hmm. Because he wouldn't repent, he wouldn't stop using God's name in vain. Right. Okay. Amen. And that kind of person can draw you in, suck you into them. That's right. Pull you away from the truth. Amen. So either you reject them or you reject them. Yeah. Say scripture, choose your friends wisely. Amen. Yeah, I think that's a. Um, I think that's a. That's such a valid point. That's exactly what this is saying. Uh, how blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked? So there is a fear, right? There is a true fear of of a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You can see it in churches. You have seen it in your own life. Um, you know, we all have the possibility of falling into sin or listening to something that. You know, it truly hindered us from Christ's likeness. And so that is something not just that um, those who are unconverted have to deal with, but also us in the church, right? This is something that we have to deal with, and we have a process of dealing with this. And so what what are some other examples? Usually like the job, that the job plays Amen. a lot of unbelieving coworkers that you work with, and usually you spend more time with them than family. Yeah. Influencing you and things like that. Amen. You really do see it from a lot of places, Marshall. Uh, you know, telling, uh, trying to figure out a way to tell somebody that they are, <coughs> excuse me, that they are 
you know, living in sin. Hmm. <clears throat> but, you know, you want to tell them in a, in a right way. Right. You don't want to offend them. Right. You know, you want to, <clears throat> you want to tell them in a way that, um, you, you know, like, uh, in a nice way. But sure, sure. Tell them, because it's better to tell them than not to tell them. Oh, amen, amen. Right. 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 Amen. That's a way to be a godly influence. Amen. 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 Uh, Brother Keith? Yeah, I have that down to you. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah, brother. Kind of like you were talking about the progression. Yeah. Where you're walking and standing and sitting. Mm-hmm. So many things about time, right? It's like what, where your time is. So, like where most of the guys named was the time that is kind of like mandated by us to be in the world, like work. And some of our family, you know, we have that relationship. That in the world. Is there. And in some sense, we don't necessarily have to break ties all the time unless they're over-influencing us or pressing upon us. Right. Those are like necessary times that we're around the council of the wicked, but I think the more dangerous times that can be is when we're deciding to put ourselves in the council of the wicked through like entertainment or whatever. You know, that's that's like our choice to be entering into that council versus like what we just necessarily have to be around. So we gotta be aware of both the nature of both, you know, and Yeah. You know. Amen. So so really directly and indirectly. You know, however that however however that can influence in your life, because um, <clears throat> that is a reality. A couple of other examples that I put here is is what are you watching on TV? Are you receiving grace? That's what Ephesians four. Um, it was Ephesians four, um, and it, Ephesians four twenty uh, twenty eight. I think maybe. Uh, 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it will, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And I think that even the things you watch on TV, they should give grace to you. You know, whatever you, what, so you should, you should be able to, to, to really kind of, uh, sift through what is influencing you. You know, what is going into your ears? What is going into your heart? Because what God wants to do is use you to give grace to other people. Um, so that that's what they're receiving, brother. What do you what do you got? Yeah, uh, I got a question. I want to see how see what y'all think about this. I feel like this told me told me something about this plenty of times, and I've heard Paul Washer say something about this. Hmm. You're at work, school, wherever it may be, and you're talking to people about the gospel, and obviously they'll reject it or or accept it. But a couple of people that I've talked to at my job about the gospel, they'll say they believe it, and obviously you can tell if they're not or if they do or not. So a couple of guys that I work with. They'll 
tell me stuff they listen to, stuff they watch, and I'll tell them I don't listen to this thing. So if you have no choice but to work with them, what do you do? Like, do you ignore them the whole time? Or do you, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you just have, I have no choice but to work with the guys. I think it just, I think it just depends. Um, it depends on, it depends like the environment that you're in. If the environment is truly toxic, the, the person themselves could be toxic, but their, their, you know, their hidden life is probably not coming out in a workplace. So you might know the things that they do and, you know, we're called to be in the world and not of the world. And so you might know what they do and you might know that they're, they're not in Christ, even though they profess to be. Um, but it all depends on what they bring in the workplace. I believe it would be extremely hard um, to to work in a place that is blaspheming the name of God and nobody cares, right? There's no restraints in words and people are just, um, they're just uh, cursing God's name and things like that. And so it depends on what, what the environment truly is. We know that the people themselves uh, hate God, are full of, are full of hatred towards God. Um, but it depends on how that really exercises or how, how that, how that's expressed in your workplace, what is the environment, you know? If that's truly causing you to stumble, then you have to really consider, um, you know, uh, what that's doing to your heart, you know? We are called to be in the world, uh, but not of the world. And so we do have to make sure that nothing's causing us to stumble. And, and yes, Pastor? I think that the, the answer is also, like you said, um, also the stressing evangelistic, uh, our evangelistic mindset, right? And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, Right. We would have to go outside of the world. Right. But so we, we're not called to judge the immoral of this world. Right? right. In the sense of we're going to pronounce some sort of judgment upon them, right? The Bible says they're already condemned. That's right. So our, our view of our neighbor at work should be one of evangelistic pity. You know, we have to look at them with, with a desire that they would be saved. Amen. You know, and understand that you will endure from that person, you know, an ungodly life. Hmm. Right. It's one thing to hear blasphemy. It's another thing to blaspheme. Mm-hmm. Just because a you know your coworker is a blasphemous, you know he's got a dirty mouth, uh, and you have you know you're ordained by God to work at that job, and you have to be around that guy. Mm-hmm. You can try to influence him, right? But our calling is not to try to moralize people. Sure. Try to go in there and clean up their language. Right. You know what I mean? That's right. Man. You know, and have a new heart and God will watch them yeah that's right <laughs> I think it's an encouragement it should be an encouragement to us too that when we are in the workplace like that and we don't like what we're seeing it should just confirm our salvation so instead of making us want to run you know what I mean it should make our even more pity for them you know give them evangelistic zeal and then affirming our salvation mm. you see life in darkness Mm. It's very evident, you know? Yeah. So. Amen. Amen. Now that's definitely, it's, it's definitely healthy. Wicked should be repulsive, you know, when it's in your presence, wickedness and things like that. Um, that's why you just have to be careful because it just takes, it just takes sitting under this a little too long or, you know, I, I, I put a couple more things here. Uh, but TV, media, right? The news, whatever you're watching, social media, 
um, if you're wasting too much time, you know, and, and, and maybe are just throwing away hours of your time on social media. That's something that I've been convicted of. Is the Lord has really convicted me of wasting time on social media. Um, movies, you know, what's going into your mind? What's going, what are you, what are you filtering with your own, with your own brain? And, um, books and magazines, clothes even, uh, you can, you can really be hindered by what other people wear or, you know, uh, you just, uh, like, uh, I think Pastor Emilio called it, what'd you call it, brother? In your sermon last week, you called it body lust. It's body lust, right? So, I mean, just like, you know, women can be hindered and men can even be hindered about, you know, just by styles and clothes and things like that. And so I put schools, workplaces, friends and family. And so that's what you need to ask yourself as an individual. Uh, are you being influences, influenced by the counsel of the wicked? And, 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 and how is that having an avenue or where is, where is the source, source of this coming from that is influencing you? And, um, yeah, music. Oh, amen. 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 That's a great example. And so that's what you have to ask yourselves. And so what are we to do? What are we to do in those circumstances? You find something. What is the what is the what is the right um, reaction to those things? If you find that you're being influenced by things that are causing you to to sin, did you raise your hand, Cameron? Oh, I was going to say, cut it off. Cut it off. Amen. We know that came from the mouth of Christ, brother. I would also just point out, Landon, that you know, um, verse one. You know, I, I think the real um, the real concern for all of us is the word walk. Right. It's not that you're not around the counsel of the wicked or you're never sure. exposed to it. Or, I mean, we couldn't go evangelizing if that was the case. You know what I mean? Right, uh, right. So the, the, the whole emphasis here is that we don't walk in it, right? So That's right. walk is always indicative of a lifestyle. So the righteous man never engages in the lifestyle that is uh, that is produced by the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked. Sure, you know I mean? sure. So Right. Because we're surrounded by wickedness nonstop. Right, right. And so the emphasis of the psalm is don't walk in in the wickedness that's around you. Right, right. And I would just, I would add that what you see is is really kind of a taking heed, you know. Uh, uh, Speaking about counsel, uh, it's really how, how, uh, which I would, which I would, uh, you you begin with counsel, and I would really just, uh, I would define that as a worldview, Beliefs, and so that is where you start being infiltrated with certain things, and uh, where where your mind can be truly captured. And then I would move to um, standing in the path of sinners, right? So now you're all together in a different path. I would I would mark that as the lifestyle, as the so you're being influenced with beliefs, worldviews, and then you digress into the standing in the path of of uh, standing in the path of sinners. And so you see this, uh, you see this even, um, uh, you see this, uh, this is what Christ was talking about, right? That there's, there's a, a broad gate, right? And a narrow, there's a broad way and a narrow way. And so you're no longer standing or professing what you used to, right? But now you're all together since you've heeded this counsel, this worldview and this worldly influence. You're now standing in the path of sinners. You're partaking of the lifestyle. And that is what's, uh, that's what's ending in, um, the last verse, which is really just you're sitting in the seat of scoffers. 
you're no longer uh, you're you're no longer um, quietly sinning, but it has become you're loudly boasting in sin, even uh, scoffing at God's word. And so uh, that's what I would say. So standing in the path of sinners um, is adopting their lifestyle after hearing their worldview. And uh, then we get to, so sitting in the seat of scoffers, Spurgeon says like this, he, he, this is basically speaking of slanderers, gossips, and, and ultimately what happens in this digression, Spurgeon says, for those who are called scorners, who having thrown off the fear of God, commit sin without restraint, in the hope of escaping unpunished, without the compunction or without the guilt or fear, they make fun of the judgment of God. They basically can laugh at the judgment of God. They're scorners. Uh, as if they would never be called to that judgment themselves. And so you can see that. It truly is. So you, so th- there is a digression here of the council worldview beliefs to walking and their, uh, to sitting in their, to, um, to, yeah, what does it say? To standing in their path, which is a lifestyle of behavior. And then you're, then at the end of this is really you've turned into the scoffer. You're, you've turned into this person who is now mocking these things of God. And so, and not just a wicked lifestyle behind doors, which is kind of discreet, but an openly wicked lifestyle, Un- ungodliness, unhidden, uh, confessing, uh, uh, confessing, and openly boasting about their love for sin, um, and and so this is what we're talking about is the the seed of the scoffer, and so what is necessary to apply one's mind to God's law and His word is absolute separation from all that is ungodly. So this is what Christ calls us to, to separate from ungodliness if we are going to apply our minds to His word. If we are to be saved, Christ calls us to separate from an ungodly lifestyle. Uh, the message or the counsel of the ungodly, this is a life that Christ calls us to shun and to leave. Uh, the scoffing and all that encompasses who you used to be, the old man, you must leave him behind, you must cut it off. And so this is what he's saying. How blessed is the man who does these things. And so if you're walking in the temple of God and the first thing you're hit with is, have you left this lifestyle? Have you left the lifestyle? Have you put it aside? That which you used to live, that which you used to listen to, the path you're once uh, walking in, uh, sitting in, standing in. And uh, so you're basically, you're leaving this, you're leaving this whole lifestyle away, walking in. So you can see the strategy of, of truly of why they put Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 here, is that this is the reality that you're, that you are confronted with, um, as you walk into the temple of God. And so, and this is, that, that's, that's a good point. So what he's not saying is this, that, that you are to avoid the world, right? He can't, he's not saying this. Um, but he is, he is telling you what is, ne- what is necessary of salvation in Christ. Um, it's leaving the counsel of the world and heeding the counsel of God and loving God's Son. And so, this really leads us into Psalm 1-2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates day and night. So Psalm one one, we just went went through verse one. That was what they what the what the the, the blessed man does negatively, and this is what he does positively, right? He delights in the law of the Lord. So what he didn't do is in the verse one. What he now what he does do is in verse two. He delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. 
So the blessed man has graciously been given the ability to delight in the law of the Lord. He has been made free from the law which sentenced him to death, right? The condemnation of his sin uh, has been radically removed by the vicarious atonement of his Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so now without despair, he can delight in the law of the Lord. So the present tense, it, it defines an abiding condition of uh, of this blessedness of the man. The present tense of this word delight, right? And notice that it doesn't say just some days or Sundays, but every day, all day, day and night. That's what it says, day and night. And so how does... A life of love for God's word become a reality in the soul of man. A life of love for God's word. And we have a, we have this in, in 1st Peter 1.23. You see this in James 1, but you see it in so many verses, but 1st Peter 1.23 tells us exactly how this happens. And it says, for you have been born again not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. This is how a love for God's word begins, by God's word itself. And so this is the question that we have to ask ourselves. So basically what I'm taking you through is like the ex- the experiential reality of someone coming into uh, the house of God. Well, they're coming into, they're walking through the temple with the two structures of Psalm 1 and 2. If they want to get to the rest of the book, he says you must come through chapters 1 and chapter 2 first. And so you're really kind of getting an understanding of someone who was not converted. These are evangelistic psalms. Um, the very thoughts that would come through their mind and the realities that they would be faced with. And so they would be asked, do you delight and take pleasure in the law of God or does it hinder you from doing what you really love and delight in? Do you delight in the law of God, in the word of God? Do you love to meditate on God's law? So delighting and meditating on God's law and his word. How would we find meditating? How would you define that? Jeffrey? Is it a sermon? Yeah. You're going to preach a sermon? No, no, just Okay, okay, okay. Proverbs 11:20, the perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the but the blameless in their walk are in the light. And then in context, adding to that, just Ephesians 2, 1 3, now the man who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Yeah, amen. Amen.
Yeah, amen. Wow. Yeah, that's. I think that's a. I think that what knowing the Word of God does and going through sermons and things like that is going to help. I think the love's going to be there, but not having an understanding, maybe as quickly as you want it, will be can be frustrating to some, you know. And um, but no, you're absolutely right. When God regenerates a man, uh, the love for God's Word is there, no doubt. Sure. Right. Oh, amen. 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 I mean, without without regeneration, we couldn't understand God's word. We definitely wouldn't love His word. You know, we couldn't obey His word, and so those are the things that God gives us the strength to do once He uh, regenerates us, once He saves us, and so. But these are the things that God calls us to do. So. He, he calls us to, and he says that this is the this is the the state of the man who love God's law. He delights in it. Um, sure, under, under, you know, understanding, like Pastor like Pastor said, uh, understanding is going to come, and that's what you see, and uh, that's what you see in, in a lot of places. That sometimes understanding is slow, and sometimes understanding is small, and it, it comes at, at yes, brother. Sometimes, like when I'm reading my Bible, and you know why. I understand what it's what it's saying, but I don't understand the meaning. You understand what I'm saying? What are you? What are you? Are you referring, brother, brother, brother? Are you referring to a specific verse? Well, um, are you referring to Psalm one? Are you just saying in general? He, you know, sure. He reads it. He understands what it's what the words are saying, Same. but he doesn't know the the meaning the of it. The context. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm. I'm, I'm Interpretation. Oh, sure. And I'm reading it over and over. Yeah. And I'm going like, what is he saying? What is he, what is he really saying? Oh, amen. Really 
Yeah, amen. Amen. And a brother could text me, and that very same scriptures, he could text me, and, and boom, I guess it right off. Amen. Amen. That's, that's what I'm saying. What, what I want to focus on in this conversation is your love for God's word. Not your understanding for God's word. Like, I, I don't necessarily, I don't believe that you have to have the whole word of God figured out. And when you come to a, you know, a, a single verse that you have to know the meaning to it. Uh, but I believe that you, you must have a hunger for God's word and a desire to know his word. Uh, that you love it. And so, um, God gives us that desire. That love for God's word should not go away. That's a bad sign. That's a very bad sign. But understanding, right? We understand that God has given us pastors as a as a means um, to help the flock understand and to grow in spiritual maturity, knowledge of God's word. Yeah, I was just going back to this, this walking and standing and sitting. Um, it, it, has, it has to do with guarding your heart. Oh, amen. You know, amen. Oh yeah! Wow. That's right. Right. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And that's what I want to focus on. That's the reality. And um, and uh, of course, understanding God's word is only going to help you grow and in, in your love for God's word. Once you understand it, I mean, that's truly uh, that's true. That's where truly where joy begins to flow is understanding where God, where by faith you are able to apprehend spiritual things and understanding of the word of God. Um, Excuse me, but you also, you know, as we uh, earlier when we were talking about uh, like what you put in. Okay. You know, Are you in Ephesians six? Okay, okay, that's what I was thinking. That's okay. Right. For you were formerly uh, darkened, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And it goes on nine, you know, for the truth of the light consists on goodness, you know, and all that. But uh, the thing is, um, this is what you were talking about, you know, it's what you receive. And, you know, a lot of times we're around people and like TV and, you know, music, everything that we uh, we take in, you know, uh, to uh, don't let those things, you know, just penetrate in us, you know. Right. Um, always, you know, to... Uh, and, you're, and, you, and, you, and you mean just as a source? from which those things can flow. 
Right. You know, uh, it's just like my wife on a job, you know, uh, she always telling me, you know, about what she's facing every day. Right. Every day, you know, on a job. All I can do is pray for her, you know, and, and that's what I do. And I pray for her and I try to give her some, you know, some, um, yeah, some sound counseling and, you know, um, we'll read scripture. Right. And, and then I tell her, you know, hey, you know, you got to understand that God probably put you there and he wants you to reach somebody. You right. Know? Maybe not that person, but it's somebody there on your job that he wants you to reach. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know, you're there for a reason. You know, uh, Amen. don't be a, don't be a part of that. You know, don't be a partaker of that. You know, just because they're cussing, and right. talking about this and that, and you know, maybe talking about you. You know, sure, give you the right to talk about them. You know, sure, or say anything bad about them. You know, sure. Just, you know, just pray for them. Amen. 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 Praise God. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you said people that are born again, they should meditate and seek Christ and read the Word. But what would you say to somebody that can't read at all, or they're deaf or blind? But they some, some people can't read at all, or deaf or blind. So a blind person can read. A deaf person can read. Um, a, uh, and someone who can't read can be taught to read. But, I mean... Um, uh, there's audio. There's things like that. If if someone is 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 uh, is is has a, a is mentally challenged in, in that kind of sense, then uh, th- you know, uh, then there's multiple avenues that would be able to help them. So you really have no excuse. God wants to. God wants to say God can save that person, right? Whether blind, deaf, can't read. You know, God will God will teach them and help them in those things. You know, um, should we get going, Pastor? Yeah. Okay. Well, let me pray for us, and and we'll uh, we'll get out of here. Okay. Uh, Father in heaven, I thank you for this time that you've given us, Lord. Um, I pray that that uh, Lord, just going through this word would help us in our understanding of this psalm, Lord. And I pray that uh, Lord, that our obedience to you and our loyalty loyalty to you would not be hindered from things uh, that are pressuring and coming from the outside, trying to uh, Lord to divide us to divide us from you, Lord. So I pray that you would keep us by your Spirit. Uh, in love and obedience uh, to our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.